Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. Welcome to our press review show. We are, of course, part of the 90 Min Football Network. And as ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu. On this edition of the show, we're going to be scouring through the back pages and, of course, online and bringing to you some of the Arsenal-related stories in the world's press. We're going to be getting into some of those. We're going to be discussing some of those. And, of course, as always, we'll be taking some of your thoughts and some of your questions from the live chat box. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all enjoying the sunshine. Uh, I don't know where you all are, but if you are somewhere where the sun is shining, make the most of it, because particularly if you're in England, you never know uh, when it's going to disappear again. I have to say, I thought about doing this podcast because the weather is so nice here outside. I thought about setting up a, a little deck chair, popping the camera there, uh, maybe doing this as a pre-record and maybe doing it James Richardson style from the mid 90s, uh, sort of with my uh, my newspaper and my cup of coffee. But I thought I can't trust my kid uh, not to run outside screaming because it is the Easter holidays, of course. And uh, that, of course, brings its challenges, doesn't it? Uh, big good morning to you if you're in certain parts of the world. Good afternoon uh, to those of you in other parts of the world as well. Um, I hope everybody is is feeling OK. Let's say a few hellos, actually, before we get into uh, today's stories. Let's start off with Harvey. Hope you're well, mate. Peeny Ween, hope you're good. Uh, big hello to Steve uh, as well. Junior Gunner, Snipe.Genius, who's at home uh, with COVID, unfortunately. Uh, can't leave home and enjoy the weather. Um, hopefully it passes soon, mate. Hopefully you've got it mild and uh, wishing you uh, a speedy recovery. Uh, Ryan, who joins us from Bradford, says, afternoon, awful weather up in Bradford. Well, it's nicer down here, mate. Uh, maybe get yourself down here. Martin says, shit and gloom here uh, in the West Midlands. Okay, so it's not just... Uh, uh, so, so it is just down in the southeast where the weather is quite nice at the moment. OK, look, without further ado, let's get into some of the stories that we're going to be covering today. And we're going to be talking about uh, some familiar names, players that have been linked with moves to Arsenal in the past. The latest reports doing the rounds concerning them um, are, are, are the subject of discussion today. So let's start off with the first story, which is that Wolves and Portugal midfielder Ruben Neves is a target for Arsenal this summer. Now, we've been linked with Ruben Neves before. If you think back to last summer, when we thought that Granit Xhaka was going to be leaving the club, when we thought that that deal was on the verge of being done, I was quite a big advocate of the idea of going out and getting Ruben Neves and bringing him in as the replacement, as the guy uh, to sort of plug that hole. I think he gives you a lot of the same qualities that Granit Xhaka does in that he's quite positionally disciplined, that he's happy playing in that deeper role. But I think He's a little bit more effective when he attacks in the sense of uh, killer passes, in the sense of uh, hitting shots from distance, good set piece taker as well. So there's lots that Ruben Neves could bring to the table. And at 25, for me, he's in that sweet spot. You know, we've talked a lot about Arsenal's idea of sort of bringing in players between, I don't know, 23 and uh, sorry, 21 and 23 with a view to the future. Um, with players who were kind of just on the cusp of fulfilling their potential, but maybe hadn't got there just yet, and how we're trying to build a project around that particular age profile. Well, Ruben Neves is in the age profile of someone who's been there, done it. 
Okay, he's only 25 years old, but he's got a vast amount of experience. And it's easy to forget how young Ruben Neves is because of how long he's been on the scene. But he is somebody who would come in and add experience, but also at 25 years old, still represents a good and sensible investment. So I'm quite big on this. I'd quite like to see Ruben Neves come in. As I say, when I've kind of made my piece last summer with the idea of Granite Xhaka leaving and the, the fact that we were going to need to replace him, this was someone for me that I was quite keen on seeing come into the club. When I talk about some of the similarities between the two in terms of the qualities they bring to the table, I talked about Granite Xhaka in this new system, if you like, when, of course, everybody's fit, playing a little bit further up the pitch, squeezing a little bit higher up, being part of the press, but also in having the Swiss in the team, we had that ability to tuck him in infield to tuck him that little bit deeper and drop him in alongside Thomas Partey or whoever it may be to form that double defensive midfield pivot. And I think that that is important. It's important that we have that because there will be games, there will be occasions where we will need that added bit of security and that extra bit of stability. Ruben Neves, similarly to Granit Xhaka, is quite happy to drop into those positions as well and quite comfortable in doing so. So I think he'd be a really, really good fit. What's it going to take to get him out of Wolves? That's the that's the uh, the issue here. You know, when you're talking about signing from a fellow Premier League club, naturally uh, you're going to have to pay a little bit over the odds. It's just the way it is. Uh, Premier League to Premier League transfers always tend to be that way. According to Transfer Marked, he's valued at £36 million. His contract at the club expires in 2024. So there's still a good couple of years uh, remaining on that. So on the on that premise, you can assume that Wolves aren't going to just sell him and flog him off for cheap. So I think you're probably looking at 40 to 45 million. And it's one of those where although Wolves might dig their heels in, if you can convince the player, if you can sort of sell him the project and get him pushing for that move from his end as well, then quite often what you'll see over the course of a long summer window is the player and the the club hoping to purchase being able to wear them down uh, just a little bit so yeah I think around about 40 to 45 million pounds is a is a, a fair and realistic price to pay for Ruben Neves who I believe would be a really positive signing for the Gunners if we could get that deal over the line and look Granit Xhaka we thought was close to an exit last summer it doesn't look like he's going anywhere now but Ruben Neves coming into the squad um, whether that's to play instead of Granit Xhaka to compete with him to help when Thomas Partey is unavailable, which seems to be a regular occurrence, so that you've got Xhaka and Neves in there, two experienced players, both quite comfortable dropping deep, but both sort of able to progress the ball as well. I think that that would be a really good addition to our squad. And with hopefully, fingers crossed, European football next season, I think we're going to need to add some further depth. Not that I don't like Lekonga. I do. Um, I don't like the role he was deployed in at the weekend. And we've spoken about that a lot in the last sort of 24 hours. But I think for me, uh, Ruben Nevers would just add a little bit more quality and a little bit more uh, in terms of layers to this squad that is a little bit thin, that is um, sort of uh, very inexperienced sort of outside of the first 11. So I think, yeah, it's important that we add another midfield player. I think that Mohamed Onneni is probably going to leave the club as well. And somebody like Ruben Neves, for me, would be an excellent acquisition. Moving on to the next story uh, with regards to Darwin Nunez, the Benfica striker has been heavily linked with a move to Arsenal over the last few months. And I've been discussing him uh, multiple times on this podcast, a player that I really, really like. I'd really like to see 
uh, signed by the Arsenal this summer. Darwin Nunez scored a hat-trick at the weekend and gave a pretty good account of himself in Benfica's first leg uh, of their Champions League clash with Liverpool. And that naturally has sparked more talk around him, more discussion around him. And if you're to believe the reports today uh, from The Athletic, Arsenal have slipped down the pecking order in the race for Darwin Nunez's signature behind Manchester United, Chelsea and Paris Saint-Germain, who are all rumoured to have an interest in the player. Now, again, a player that I think is attainable for a reasonable fee. We've heard lots of stories uh, doing the rounds over the last sort of week or so that they're uh, the Benfica president isn't going to entertain anything less than 65, 69 million pounds, et cetera, et cetera. And that to me is a little bit crazy. I mean, I know he scored goals this season and I know he's looked good for the past couple of seasons, but 65, 67 million pounds feels a little bit hefty. And obviously that's based on his importance to Benfica. It's also based on the fact that he's just 22 years old. Uh, a lot of sort of respected Uruguayan footballers, Edinson Cavani being one of them, who's been probably over the last decade, one of the best strikers in Europe, you have to say. Um, OK, he isn't playing at United at the moment and has all sorts of issues going on. But, you know, you have to put him in that category. He's been very complimentary of Darwin Nunez too. So good player. Um, I think he's he's someone you could get for 45 to 50 million pounds. Um, interesting that Man United, Chelsea and PSG are interested. We know that Chelsea, PSG and United can all blow us out of the water in terms of money. Um, but Manchester United, would you be convinced that the, the project is working there? I mean, Eric Ten Hag, we think is going to get the job in the summer, but there's a lot of work to be done at United. I'd argue they're behind us in their process. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain, um, are a club who I've read might be up for sale after the Qatar World Cup, in which case does their funds dry up because they certainly don't make enough money as a football club in its sort of own right to continue to invest in the way that they have done in recent seasons. And obviously the future around Chelsea is pretty uncertain. Obviously whoever takes over isn't going to be short of a few quid, otherwise they wouldn't be in a position to even discuss the deal. But there is quite a bit of uncertainty at all of those clubs. Arsenal, despite the meltdown in the last sort of uh, week or so, despite all the negativity, uh, are moving in the right direction on the whole. You know, we've had a dip and it's caused a lot of debate and it's caused uh, a lot of discussion. But on the whole, you know, we've, we're challenging for Europe. We're challenging for the Champions League. I think if we can get over the line in that Champions League race, it makes the world of difference because, as I've said before, it just accelerates the process. It means that we can get... Uh, or we can convince some of these players who would otherwise perhaps be on the fence about the idea of moving to Arsenal also means we have that financial cash injection, which allows us to go that little bit bigger in the transfer market. So perhaps he's waiting to see how it all plays out. I mean, I think Arsenal are pretty big on him. I think Arsenal are, are pretty convinced that he's a good option. But as I say, will we be able to get that deal done? Will it be done or will it be uh, one that we kind of I guess, get blown out of given the, the superior uh, financial capabilities of those clubs I've just mentioned who are also rumoured to be circling. And that is according to The Athletic. Just to, to go back on the Wolves' um, uh, Neves story, uh, that was from Sky Sports, just to keep you across where these stories are coming from. I'm not claiming this information to be my own. Uh, I'm simply relaying 
some of those stories and of course discussing them another story today is with regards to pablo marie who is of course currently on loan with Udinese in Serie A. Now, his loan deal with the uh, Italian club expires at the end of the season, but it seems the 28-year-old would like to stay in Italy. He said, literally, I would like to stay in Italy, among a number of other things. He talked about his suitability to the Serie A, that it's a lot more tactical uh, and that that suits his style of defending a little bit more. And I think that's fair. I think that Pablo Marie always looked quite good in terms of his positioning, always looked really comfortable on the ball, uh, looked like a really silky defender. The only issue that I ever had with him or the only concern I ever had when he was named in the team was around how he would deal with the physical side of the Premier League. Was he quick enough across the ground? I don't think he was. In Serie A, that's less likely to get exposed to the same extent anyway. Um, Was he strong enough in the air? I don't know. Uh, But again, in Serie A, there's less of that kind of uh, physical uh, sort of hustling and bustling inside the penalty area. It's a little bit more sly and there's just as many fouls being committed. But of course, the style of it all is very, very different. So I'm not surprised to hear Pablo Marie talk of how this suits him and to hear Pablo Marie uh, discuss the fact that he'd actually quite like to stay at Udinese. Okay, uh, we're going to take a short pause and then we're going to get some of your questions, some of your thoughts uh, from the live chat as well. So don't go anywhere. uh, Stay exactly where you are. Okay, let's do this. Let's uh, let's take some of your questions. Let's take some of your thoughts. But just before uh, we do that, I just want to bring you guys to the attention of the latest prize up for grabs with our good friends over at Football Prizes. This time, they've got a Thomas Partey signed and framed Arsenal shirt, plus another 13 instant win prizes uh, available to you as well. Tickets are just £3.95. There are 199 tickets up for grabs. 101 of them have already been sold. There are two days, six hours and 41 minutes remaining on this one at the time of recording, but of course that can change very, very quickly. So if this is something that you are interested in, get over to Football Prizes. The link is in the description below. Uh, Get over there, purchase your ticket. As I say, won't want to miss out on this one. Okay, let's um, let's go over to some of your comments. Let's go over and get some of your thoughts. Um, Chris says, I feel like Darwin Nunez is unmissable. We can't compromise on striker quality. Yeah, I mean, Chris, I, I get what you're saying. And um, and I think that this is this is really interesting because often, don't we, as um, as fans, we kind of get, I think, caught up in one particular signing. You know, we'll look at a player and we'll say, yeah, this is the guy. This is the one we want. Um, this is the player that we need to get. And if we don't get him, anything else would be a disaster. I think Darwin Nunez... As I said to you guys a a few days ago, when I sort of sat down and thought about the profile of striker I want, what do I need uh, to see in our new striker? Darwin Nunez, for me, ticked a lot of those boxes. And that's why I'm so big on him, because I think that he brings a lot of the qualities that we just are missing at the moment. You know, we don't have a striker capable right now of running in behind. We literally have a striker whose game is all about sort of dropping deep and the build-up play, but offers us very little in terms of facing the goal. 
He doesn't score goals. He doesn't get into the right positions frequently enough. He doesn't give us an aerial threat when we work the ball into wide areas. And there's no outlet with Alexander Lacazette because you never feel like you could, you know, when you're under pressure, punt the ball on the right or on the left into a channel and know that your centre forward is going to read it, suss it out and at least go over there and sort of apply pressure on the defenders and just buy you a little bit of time and give the team the opportunity to squeeze up the pitch. We don't get that with Lacazette. Now, Darwin Nunez brings all of those things, but he brings goals as well. And if I had one reservation about Darwin Nunez, it's is he as good at doing that dropping into the hole bit, uh, which we've seen over the course of the season has really helped Saka, Smith-Rowe, Odegaard, Martinelli. Is he as good at that part? I'm not sure. But I think he's so good in so many of the other areas that I've discussed that you almost feel as though, okay, we'll take that. And that's something that we know we need to work on. He's 22 years old, Darwin Nunez. So he's by no means the finished article. There's a lot of work still that can be done with him. And there's a lot of room for him to continue to improve. Um, In terms of unmissable, he's definitely the one I want. Uh, He's definitely the one I think fits best. But is any player unmissable? I don't know. Um, I don't know because, as I say, g- judging by that report that we sort of relayed a little bit earlier on from The Athletic, there are a number of clubs interested in the player. And it's not always um, as simple as saying, well, he's the one we want. Therefore, let's go and get him. It's a done deal. There you go. Happy days. You know, you can match the offer made by Manchester United. You can match the offer made by Chelsea. Perhaps you could even match the offer on the table from Paris Saint-Germain from a financial perspective. But you need to convince the player that this is the place for you. And given Arsenal's status in recent seasons, uh, which has been sort of out of the Champions League, out of Europe altogether this season, it's going to be more difficult to do that than it is for Chelsea to do it or for Paris Saint-Germain to do it clubs who uh, you know have sort of done pretty well recent in recent seasons in in European competition now people will say PSG have been great underachievers Chelsea are the reigning European champions and world champions so I don't think you can argue that but PSG um you know I think they went to the final last season they've they've sort of been in the latter stages of the competition and every time that competition comes around they're one of the teams that people look at so yeah I'd love to have him but this is the th- this is the reality now as well around Arsenal that I think a lot, and I'm not saying you, Chris, but I think a lot of people seem to miss. There's a lot of Arsenal fans who every summer go, we need to get this guy and that's that. It's not always in our hands, okay? It's not always just based on what the club do. If somebody who they feel, who the player feels is in a better, stronger position comes along, then it's not always easy to convince the player that Arsenal is the place for them. And sometimes it's impossible. So I think um, we've got to make sure that we have different options. As not to say I don't want that I want us to go and sort of panic by and spunk money on somebody that we don't want or don't need. But we do need to. Um, we do need to have options lined up because as we saw in January, when you miss out on one target it, and, and that's someone who you put all your eggs in their particular basket, it becomes then difficult, doesn't it, to... Um, to sort of recover from that. Uh, let's take uh, this one from Junior Gunner, sticking on the theme of strikers. He says, where's all this Ivan Tony hype coming from? He hasn't been shown to be prolific other than one championship season. Is he a 20-goal-a-season striker yet to be seen? So I've been quite critical of Ivan Tony this season because I don't think he's lived up to the hype around him um, that was there at the start of the season and obviously 
coming into the campaign. What I would say about Ivan Tony though is that having now got some quality around him in Christian Eriksen, uh, in particular at Brentford, he started to to produce again, which kind of makes me think that it was Ivan Tony poor for half a season or was Ivan Tony being starved of service? Now, I don't watch Brentford closely enough and regularly enough to really have much of an opinion on that. But I think when you look at the fact that Christian Eriksen has come in and all of a sudden Ivan Tony's playing and contributing again, I think you have to say that that has probably played a part. And so maybe in the right team with the right players around him, he is somebody that could offer us something. I don't know. Um, Anonymous says, Harry, good afternoon. Love the show. Correct me if I'm wrong, but how many strikers are we linked with? Means that Arsenal don't know the profile of the striker we actually need. Or it could mean that some of the links are, are, are nonsense. And I, and I think that's probably more likely. I think when you look at the recruitment that Arsenal and Arteta and Edu have done over the last sort of 12 months, it's been very clear that there is a criteria that they're working towards uh, in terms of uh, profile, in terms of age, in terms of qualities, in terms of personality. I I think it's, I mean, I can't sit here and say that I think they're just kind of stabbing in the dark. I, I think there is a plan. I do think that they have identified players that they want. Are they the same players, though, that we're being linked with in the press? Not always. And I think you have to be mindful of that. So I believe Arsenal have the idea, an idea of what they want to see in terms of a striker coming in. And I guess as a result of that, because we're being linked, as you say, to so many different types of strikers, we probably got to take all of those reports with a pinch of salt. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Riddy Sarkar says, Afternoon, Harry. Would you target Tyrick Mitchell this summer, given our issues at left back? Yeah, he's a player I like, um, a player I've, I've been really, really impressed with. Obviously, the left back thing, you know, it's going to be a problem for us between now and the end of the season because of Kieran Tierney's absence and what seems to be uh, the sort of overlooking and snubbing of Nuno Tavares. Now, I would have said that Nuno, prior to the Crystal Palace game, would have been a pretty decent option. And although he wasn't very good in that first half against Crystal Palace, I don't think he was so disastrous that he needed to be bombed out of the team at the weekend like he was and basically sent a message that you're not good enough. Um, so, yeah, I think there is... Um, I think there is a case to be made for the fact that if Nuno Tavares has fallen out of favour, as we think, if Nuno Tavares is no longer a part of Mikel Arteta's plans, then left-back is certainly a position we need to address. But I don't want us to have to keep readdressing the same positions because then how do you ever build and how do you ever move forward if you have to keep going back and patching up the work you've already done? And I feel like if this was the case with Tavares, where he's not going to play anymore and he's not going to be involved, that is going back and, and sort of papering over um, an issue that was there that, that you've kind of created because we bought him in. Mikel Arteta bought him in. Edu bought him in. Um, so, yeah, I think, look, I think we've got to be aware of the fact that Kieran Tierney is not going to be available for, in, for entire seasons. We've known that from the day he arrived at the football club. And I thought that we'd finally found someone who could come in and out of the team uh, and do the job to a good level whilst developing, whilst growing, whilst improving. But obviously, Mikel Arteta doesn't see it like that. Now, I do wonder, and I've sort of come to this, or, or I've been thinking about this since sort of the dust has settled after the Brighton game. Because obviously, I told you guys on the preview show that I didn't want to see uh, large-scale disruption to the team. That I wanted to see it as consistent as possible. I wanted to see it as close to what it would normally be as possible, obviously, um, factoring in the injuries. 
And that was the complete opposite of what Mikel Arteta did. So I have to say over the last couple of days, I have been angry about it. I have been upset about it. I have been frustrated about it. I guess one of the things I'm trying to sort of process is whether or not I think that the snubbing of Nuno Tavares, who he clearly isn't 100% confident in, had was partly because of the fact that Cedric was playing at right back. Had Tommy Asu been playing at right back, perhaps he would have thought, well, I've got that security. I can get away with Tavares. I don't know. Not that Xhaka gives you that security. And of course, we've discussed over and over again, it took away loads from the midfield as well. So it was clearly the wrong decision. But I think left back is an area that is now going to be an issue. And it's a problem because it should have been one of the areas that we've, um, that we already dealt with and fixed. And obviously we haven't. Um, Snipe.genius says, Harry, would you give the manager a new contract regardless of finishing in the top four? It's really, really hard. Um, it's really hard. Had he made the top four, which I don't think he will now, um, then I would have said 100% give him a new contract. He'd be worthy of that new contract. The other thing I'll say as well, which seems to be lost on some people for some reason, is that giving a manager a new contract doesn't mean that in a year you can't sack him or doesn't mean in two years that you can't sack him. We see it all the time. Um I don't think you can give him a new contract if we finish sixth. I don't think you can give it because that's for me was the bare minimum required. I don't think you can give him a new contract if we finish outside of sixth. In fact, if we finish outside of the top six, I think there's a discussion and a conversation to be had as to whether or not this thing is working. Um, it's a bit like, how do I put this? So the way I see this is that Mikel Arteta could have and can do a good job at Arsenal without being the man that takes us on to the next level. And what I mean by that is he can be the man who oversaw the change, who oversaw the rebuild, who oversaw the uh, scrapping of a lot of players that we regarded as dead wood, the cleansing, if you like, of the squad. He can be that man. He can be the man that helps some of our young players get a, a, a greater standing in the game, continue to push forward, continue and develop. But that doesn't mean that he's the right man to take us into the Champions League and then push on thereafter. The point I'm trying to make here is that if Mikel Arteta were to be sacked in the summer, let's just say for argument's sake, I don't think he will, but if he was, and then another more experienced coach came in, took on this group of players and went, right, I'm going to make a few additions. Now I'm going to get us over the line with my greater experience, my superior tactical knowledge. Then you'd obviously credit that new manager but you wouldn't be able to dismiss the role that Mikel's had and the role that Mikel's played. And this is the point I keep making to people. You can do a good job in, in, in a process without being the guy that finishes it off. And I think that that is very much how I expect Mikel Arteta's Arsenal career to go. I think he will be the guy that puts us in a position where we've now got a really young, hungry, up-and-coming squad. But maybe we're going to need to go to someone else to kind of to finish it off that like he's he could be the builder but not the decorator if you like that that's kind of how i see Mikel Arteta, and and that's why i think that when we judge how good a job he's done we're probably not going to be able to make a, a full judgment on that until later on if we go on to become regular champions league uh, a regular champions league side and we push on and get closer to the league leaders with Emil Smith-Rowe, with Saka, with Odegaard, with White, with Gabriel, with Tomiyasu, with Ramsdale, then you'd have to give Mikel some credit for that because he's put that group together. 
Now, as I say, he might not be the man to finish it off. And that would influence my thinking on whether he should get a new contract. Do I think he's the man to finish it off? I don't know. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't be giving any new contracts. I wouldn't be doing any deals um, until the end of the season. But I suspect, I really do, and, and people aren't going to like this, that Arsenal, as a club, have seen enough positivity in their eyes and that there is probably a verbal agreement in place already. It'll be stupid to announce it now because of the, the reaction that it will get. But as I say, I wouldn't be surprised if if that's already sort of in the in the workings. Um, Stilton Avenger says, ignoring those on loan or out of contract, who are we actively trying to offload? Or will Edu and the gang be focusing solely on incoming players? Well, I think a lot of the reason, um, mate, that we did push out players in January, even if it did leave us slightly short, was to essentially clear the decks for a focus on recruitment in the summer. I really do believe that. I think in years gone by, we've spent half of the summer trying to offload people, which has then delayed us in going out and getting the players that we want and has hindered us in that sense. So I do think that is um, that is part of it. Yeah, I think it was part of clear. It was all about clearing the decks um, in order to... Um, to be able to do the business that we want come the summer. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Steve Stone says, any update uh, on Takahiro Tomiyasu's injury? It's getting quite concerning. We've been told that he's going to return to training after the Southampton game at the weekend. So um, that's that's the latest update that, that we have from the club. Don't know any more than that. Uh, but it is concerning, as, as you say, that it's been going on for a little while for sure. Um, apologies if I missed some of your questions. There are loads coming through and I, I won't be able to take every single one of them uh, before our time is up. So I'm just picking them at random. Please don't take it personal. Um, GB says, why have goals and chances been so hard to come by under Arteta? We were scoring 70 plus goals per season in the Premier League before, then 56, 55 and now 45 in 30 games since Mikel's arrival as a manager. Um, so I think Mikel has struggled to find the balance between making us defensively more secure and uh, not taking away from that flair going forward. Now, if you think about it, I think one of the problems that Unai Emery had was, despite being thought of as a pragmatist at the start, he was actually really open in the way he set his team out in a lot of fixtures. And we would score goals, but we'd also concede goals. Um, and I think Mikel Arteta's ideology means that he works from the back first, that he feels that defensively you need to be of a certain level before you, I guess, earn the right to then go on and be that little bit more expansive and a little bit more aggressive in the attacking third. So I believe that Mikel Arteta's philosophy is that we've got to be defensively better first. I think we've seen a bit of a shift this season in that we've pushed higher up the line and now when he's got more of the players that he wants, it's like he wants to defend from the front a lot more. But I still think that he's struggled to find the balance between defence and attack uh, as a manager in general. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a valid point. Uh, what else have we got in the chat box? Um, uh, GB agrees with me on that comment about, um, you know, Arteta oversees the, the needed change, but isn't necessarily the one that sees us challenge for titles again. Yeah, I think that's I think that's. Um, that's right. Uh, that's that's how I see it anyway. Uh, Axel says, I feel your reasoning, but it should not be the focus right now. Let's get behind the team group and manager. Hopefully Arteta will learn from his mistakes and we can finish the season on a high. Nothing would um, 
nothing would please me more, honestly, than than seeing Mikel Arteta's Arsenal uh, have a bit of a resurgence and push. And it, look, even if we do miss out on the top four by a point or a couple of points, like just to really give it a go, because that would encourage me. Because, as I've said before, the Premier League it's a marathon, not a sprint. You don't you don't qualify for the Champions League in March, and equally, you don't lose out um, unless you're you have a disaster of a campaign in March either. So I think that the reaction that we've seen sort of over the last few days has been over the top. And it's a lot of the people that want him out have used it as a reason to kind of push out their opinions again because they've had to be quiet for a few months. And at the end of the day, listen, I want him to succeed. I'm desperate for him to succeed. I'm desperate for Arsenal to succeed. So if if he's the manager, then of course I'm in his corner. Um, and I don't have a problem, as I said to you guys yesterday, with... Um, with people being critical of certain decisions he takes, as long as they're constructive in that criticism. And I was a little bit, uh, a little bit touchy yesterday, a little bit angry, a little bit frustrated, just because when your job is to talk about the Arsenal um, and your job is to try and be as rational and as analytical as possible, it's really difficult to, to sometimes then, have people coming at you for your opinion and have people sort of digging out everything you say. And when it goes from, I disagree with your footballing opinion to you're this and you're that, it, it does wind you up. And in years gone by, so when I first started podcasting and when I first started doing any sort of football work, I used to write a blog here and there. I used to go on other people's podcasts here and there. I had an escape from it. I had another job. I had another focus. I had... um sort of uh, like this job has killed my social life a bit, i got to admit, but I had more of a, like a social life and I had more time to kind of switch off from football and turn away from it. And so I could take when people were critical of me because it was like, well, you know, Arsenal have lost. I'm annoyed. I'm pissed off. I might get a bit of heat for my opinion in the next 24 hours. But after that, I've got the rest of the week to chill out and, and do what I want to do and, and get over it and move on from it. But what happens is when this becomes your job is it consumes you. And, and you you get taken over by football and by Arsenal. And so when there's so much toxicity around this football club and around recent events, it's impossible to switch off from it. It's impossible to ignore it. Like I've had to make a point of when I do finish work in the evening and go and sit down to watch television or uh, whatever it is I'm going to do or spend time with my family, I have to now go and put my phone in another room. I, I honestly do that because otherwise I can get caught up in nonsense Twitter DMs and, and 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 things that are going on on social media. And I don't want that. I need to break away from it sometimes. And I think yesterday in particular, having received loads of criticism for my view, for not wanting Mikel Arteta to be sacked after the Brighton game, um, despite me being critical of his actions on the weekend, to then get loads of heat about it, it, it did kind of get to me. And it was a bit like, well, kind of what's the point in doing this sort of thing? But received a really nice email earlier today uh, from uh, a guy called Sasha Brady, who's a regular viewer uh, on the channel and, and let me know that he's just signed up um, uh, to the membership as well. And you get emails like that. And honestly, Sasha, thank you so much, mate. Honestly, it made my day. Um, really good guy, really pleasant words. And he said, uh, this, this one line at the end, he goes, this, uh, he goes, keep it up. And remember, you've got a hundred times more people in your corner than not. It's just that they probably like 
like I've been and don't make themselves known to you. So, and, and that's absolutely right. I think when you do something like this, the people that are critical always tend to be the loudest or the ones that jump out. And it's very easy to forget that, well, we've nearly got 20,000 people subscribed to this YouTube channel. So click clearly people are enjoying it. And we've nearly got 20,000 people subscribed to the audio podcast as well, which means that people are clearly enjoying it. But one or two people can sort of really impact your mindset. And I've got to do better at sort of uh, blocking that out for sure. Okay, let's take a few more uh, of your questions uh, before uh, we jump out. Um, let me see uh, what we've got. Uh, Priyank, going back to the striker talk, says, after the end of the season, we'll have no strikers and we'll be overpaying for our target and that will create more pressures, pressure on the player we'll be signing. That's why we needed a striker in Jan. Yeah, we might have to slightly overpay. Um, but if, you, if you're if you set on a player, you don't mind that, right? If you think that a player is absolutely the right man, you, you'll probably have to overpay anyway. So the point I'm trying to make here, Priyank, though, is yes, I get that it would have been nice to get a striker in in January, but it wouldn't have been smart to go and get a striker that wasn't the striker that we see as the guy moving forward. Now, remember, we might miss out on the Champions League this season, OK? But as I've said to you guys repeatedly, I don't believe that Arsenal's internal target as a football club was to get in the Champions League. If it was and they were desperate for it, I think they would have gone out and I think they would have bought a striker in in January. But they looked at where they were. They looked at where they are and they determined that it would be better for the longer term sustainability and success of this project that we wait till the summer and get the man we want. It's not always easy to do deals in January. You only need to look at the rest of the transfer market in January to understand that. So will it prove that maybe it cost us the top four? Perhaps. But listen, yeah, Lacazette hasn't been great lately. But the, the reason we lost against Brighton was because we had no midfield and was because we had no left back. And I don't remember many people in January banging the drum about a left back or banging the drum about a midfielder, which goes to show you that you can't preempt every possible scenario in football. You can't cover every single angle. It's impossible. You look at this great Liverpool side under Jurgen Klopp, who have competed with Manchester City incredibly over the last few years. You look at last season, they just about made it into the top four in the end. That you know, It took them right till the end of the season to get back in there because they had injuries at centre-back, more injuries than they could have ever coped with or hoped that to have or, or sort of preempted. So football does has it, have this habit of throwing things at you. As I say, even in midfield, I don't think we're desperately short in cover. I think that Lokonga is good cover. I think Elneny's okay cover. And I think that had Xhaka been in the midfield at the weekend, we wouldn't have been anywhere near as exposed. At left back, I'd have told you a month ago that we've got a good deputy left back. So sometimes football throws curveballs at you and it's impossible to cover every single base. You try and you try and you try to cover as many as you can, but you can't cover every single base. It's impossible. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, <laughs> uh, Aaron says, uh, Harry, just want to say you're one of my favorite pundits. I enjoy your footballing discussions on 90 minute here. Best wishes, mate. Thank you so much, man. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Uh, Gary Hundred says, Harry, you're 100% an Arteta guy. I can't see what he's done to earn your loyalty so much. Top eight, he drops out of everything this year too. I didn't... 
Gary, it's not that I'm an Arteta guy. And, and I get this a lot, right? I get this a hell of a lot. As I've said to you in the last few days, if I had a pound for every time somebody told me that I'm an Arteta guy or I'm his lawyer and all that usual spiel I get, I'd be a millionaire and I wouldn't need to do this. Um, I'm not an Arteta guy. I'm just someone who who wants to see Arsenal get back to where they belong but recognises that given the current ownership model and given the fact that we don't have the spending power of a city, of a of Chelsea in recent years, of a Manchester United, that we are going to have to do it in a different way. We're going to have to do it in something more like the Liverpool way. And Liverpool only managed it, if we're being honest, because they were able to sell Felipe Coutinho um, and a couple of other players for very decent amounts of money, which they then reinvested wisely. But when I look at Mikel Arteta and the situation he's inherited and the situation he's taken over, he came into a squad of players with no sell-on value. He came into a squad of players who were abject, who had a lot, which had a lot of rotten eggs in it. Um, it was the consequence of bad recruitment over a number of years that had stunk out the place. And so, I'm willing to give him a little bit more time than other people are because I think that I recognise that he can't do what Klopp did. He can't, you know, Klopp didn't get Liverpool to that level overnight. It took him a number of seasons. And then when the opportunity came along to sell Filippo Coutinho, which everybody thought was a bad idea at the time, given how good he was, Liverpool took that money and they made the best out of a bad situation by reinvesting it. And ultimately in signing Alisson and Van Dijk, fixing their defence, fixing their backline. At no point during his Arsenal tenure has Mikel Arteta had the opportunity to, to sell someone or, you know, and get big money for him and then reinvest it. You think about Aubameyang. All right, had we not fallen out with him, Aubameyang going into the last year of his contract, how much would he have commanded at his age? £25 million tops. Doesn't really get you a long way in the transfer market. Mesut Ozil. His form had been dire for a couple of seasons prior to um, Mikel Arteta's arrival. So again, he wouldn't have got much sell-on value. And because the club had tied those players down to huge contracts, it was really difficult to move them on. So he's not really had that sliding doors moment yet where it's take this opportunity and that will give us the boost. I think getting in the Champions League might be that. If we can somehow achieve it, it might be the moment that things click because of the spending power, because of the attraction uh, that we then have when it comes to going in the transfer market. So I think there's a lot of things that Mikel Arteta has had to deal with that have been really difficult. And for that reason, I'm not sitting here screaming and shouting that I want him out. Now, at the end of the season, I think we can have a good discussion about what, what we've done, how we've done it, whether there's anything to suggest that we are still moving in the right direction and whether we should continue with him. It's not loyalty to Mikel Arteta. I just want Arsenal Football Club to be successful. And to circle back just quickly to the whole comparison with Unai Emery, because I'm envisaging that someone's going to ask me that off the back of this. When Unai Emery was at the football club, the reason I never thought it was going to work was because I didn't see a unity from the top down. Now, whether you agree with all their decisions or not, there is a unity between Arteta and Edu and they are singing from the same hymn sheet, which helps. But when Unai was in charge, there was people pulling in all different directions. First, it was uh, Sven Mislintat picking players to give to Unai Emery, players that Unai Emery didn't want. He had no input on those deals. Then you had 
uh, Raul Sanlehi making decisions, bringing in players again that Unai Emery didn't want. So you had one director pulling one way, a head scout pulling another and a manager pulling in the other. And it just was a big shit show and a mess. And so I just want to see over the course of a couple of seasons, how we can develop this with a unified sort of structure. And I think that although it's not perfect, we've got something more like that right now. Um, so let's see. Let's see. You know, come the end of the season, we'll talk about it and we'll see whether or not uh, it's worked out and we'll decide, um, you know, whether we can, um, whether we should continue with him. But at this point in time, 12th of April 2022, with a month to go in the season, Arsenal still in the run for the top four and still in the hunt for European football. I don't really know how you can sack him now, to be honest. Um Let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, Lynn Simpson says, for me, Harry's refreshing, not being abusive to Arteta. I think some of the fans who are disrespectful on some of these shows are not my kind of fans. Um, yeah, look, at the end of the day, I think um, at the end of the day, I think that that quote that I spoke about yesterday on, on the podcast from Mike Tyson basically along the lines of social media and YouTube and all of these things is, is sort of made people feel comfortable saying things that normally would get them a punch in the face. I think that's absolutely spot on. I mean, I can guarantee you that half of the Mikel Arteta outers who are literally got pictures of him on their Twitter with like an out sign and sort of really abusive. If they saw him in the street with Garp and say, Oh, hi, Mikel, can I have a picture? And, and that kind of shit that I don't like that. I don't like that. I, I like people to be honest. Um, I like people to be straight up. We all make mistakes. I've made loads of mistakes. Um, everybody does. Um, sometimes I've bitten back at things that I shouldn't bite back at that I should just ignore. But we all do it because we're passionate about this subject that we're discussing. We're passionate about Arsenal Football Club and what it means to us. And so sometimes emotions boil over and I get that. I really do. Um, but I think I can forgive over-the-top opinions when something's hot off the press. I can I can accept over-the-top opinions when it's it's raw and it's fresh just after a game or in the days after a game. But if you then can't kind of reset and go back to some sort of sort of normality and some sort of not middle ground because you can have an opinion one way or the other, but some sort of I don't know, a more rational space, then then I've got a problem with that. Um, and, and I don't really understand it. And I probably never will understand it. So it's not that I'm a loyalist to any one individual in particular. It's that I, I just don't see what good sacking him today does. Um, let's get to the end of the season. Let's see where we are. And then we can make that, um, you know, that um, that sort of judgment and that assessment. OK, we are going to leave it there. Uh, we've been running for about 45 minutes. Uh, thank you all so, so much for joining me. You can join me a little bit later on Tom Canton's The Guna Talk TV. We'll be doing a crossover show uh, there, 4 p.m. UK time. And we've got a brilliant piece coming out to you guys tomorrow around an exclusive interview that one of our current players has given, which we've had early access to. So we'll be bringing you that tomorrow. You'll be able to catch that. We're also going to be filming you some content from Emirates Stadium tomorrow, which I'm really looking forward to. You probably get that on Thursday and Friday. Uh, so looking forward to sharing that with you guys as well. But until next time, take care of yourselves. Hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you're new, and I'll catch you all very soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.